0: for 25% off your DNA test kit.
1: When someone reaches out to us, we know everything about the pre-roll process from grinding to sifting, to filling the cones, to packaging it, displaying it, what the different trends are by state. We're like a partner. And that's why a lot of people like working with us.
0: Or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on the Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber
2: from the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber.
0: Welcome back to the Cannamom Show. I'm Joyce, and I am so happy to be here with you. So, Dave, I am a little frazzled today because our guest, Angela Brown, of coast cannabis she is a massachusetts canna candy maker had to cancel at the very last minute
2: oh well she's off she's out of the club that's it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well not true i'm bringing her on in may so if you want to hear her story you can hang out but (laughs) i love my i love this these are good have you tried the coast cannabis are you familiar with our brand no i have not they're just she's from massachusetts she grew up in the hood she's down in the cape now and again like so many of these women she wanted a product that tasted good and worked well for some pain issues. She kind of developed this thing, and her products are just, she's got some great ingredients, and they taste delicious, these chocolate bars and gummies, and they're yes. all over Massachusetts. She was one of the first, I think she was like the first retail license or something like that.
2: So cool. I want yeah. to try.
0: So anyway, so well, you'll learn about it later. Um, okay. But don't fear. We have a guest for you today. He has stepped up to share. Yes, his. It's a him. We're having a man today. <laughs> Can a story with us. We let them on. It's not even Dave.
2: I, I'm fine. I finally have company. We, the, oh. the, we finally outnumber you on the show, Joyce, for once. For once. For once.
0: Okay. Before I begin, I just wanted to talk about some very interesting cannabis business news. There was a story in High Times last week. It was an analysis of the labor market, and they have asserted that adult use cannabis leads to get this economic improvement and more jobs.
2: Well, that just makes sense. But, but that's great news. I, I mean, all those years when cannabis was illegal, didn't we all kind of know that if they made it legal, it'd be huge for business?
0: And it's good for the economy. It's good for our health. It's good for so many things. So today's guest is actually adding that type of value. So we're going to like hear what he has to say. And just um, a little can of gossip. I've never had a can of gossip section before. Prince Harry, are you following all the drama? No,
2: nah, I mean, I know he's here. He was on Stephen Colbert. He wrote the book and he said his brother's hair was alarming. His hair loss was alarming. And that's all, all I know. What and else of is course,
0: There is can of news. Everything's wow. connected to cannabis. So could he have? I think he admitted to smoking weed. That's what I've been hearing on my channel. So uh, oh, check I it see. out. I'm not really a royal follower, but, you know, this story is everywhere. You can't avoid
2: it. Oh, it's another little brick in rebuilding the sort of reputation of cannabis and chipping away at uh, the stigma, right? Royal family. I mean, if Clinton had just said he did inhale, then maybe we wouldn't have to have done so much work. But now.
0: I mean, we have Queen Victoria. This has been around forever, people. The Royals sure. have used it. They're using it now. So um, it's just out there. Sure. And just one more thing before I get to today's guest, I know that. I've sort of talked about like kind of for a few years, I've been trying to grow my own, not that successfully, Mm -hmm. but I have just started my um, six week learn to grow class that is being offered by my friend Asia Atwood. She is the founder of Trella Technology. I don't know if you know about her. She's pretty interesting. Another Massachusetts woman. And so far I've learned how to choose and purchase my seeds. And I'm now in the middle of figuring out my setup. It is very overwhelming. I know this is an audio-only podcast, but look at my list of shit I have to get. There's yeah. a lot of stuff.
2: <laughs> my goodness. I'd be sure. daunted a little bit.
0: I'll keep you posted. I've been looking at it online, so anybody out there, I found a set by AC Infinity. It looks like a good setup for me. If maybe someone out there is listening, they want to help underwrite my journey to learning how to grow my own. Reach out to me. Love your help. I need soil. I need pots. I need all sorts of measuring tools. I mean, I am not a grower, so we'll see. <laughs> see how this goes. <laughs>
2: Do you have a garden? You have a place you can no, plant. This it? is
0: indoor grow, and I don't even oh. garden my outdoor grow. That's my husband. Like I really do not grow anything. I'm like I have one plant that I've sort of kept alive. Are you feeling hopeful?
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm not. But do you believe in miracles? Cannabis miracles? Why not?
0: I do. Yeah, I, that was one of my years. My words this year: miracle, breakthrough, help. That's so, right. Yeah. Um, all right. So over the next three months, four months, I don't sure how long it takes. I'll be posting my journey. I'll be in my basement. I have to set up the grow tent in my basement. And hopefully if I can do this, I will inspire others to grow their own too. Love it. I love it. And then I can, I don't know. Have you ever thought of it? You know anybody who grows their own, Dave?
2: I don't. But it's a very sort of seductive prospect. It's its just, it's the ultimate in sort of self-sufficiency, right? I mean, it and you can't do this with like aspirin you can't grow your own aspirin you can't you can't grow your own lip balm but this plant as you're saying is a plant so why not grow it and see
0: if you can i like that word self-sufficiency that's very american (laughs) self-sufficiency people cannabis is very american growing your own is very american
2: yeah (laughs) grow your cannabis and grow your tomatoes next to it and then you got yourself a, a salad and a and a joint (laughs)
0: Life is perfect. All right, let's go on to today's guest who can help you with that joint if you want it. So today's guest, he is an accomplished entrepreneur, having started multiple companies in the e-commerce space. His very first business, an avant-garde trophy company, was started while he was still in college. He has worked for many Fortune 500 companies and graduating when he graduated from business school at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He has worked for Amazon, managing the great Japanese power tool company Makita, as well as other accounts in the power tools category for Amazon retail. But for cannabis, lucky for us, most recently he co-founded Custom Cones USA, which is the leading ancillary company in the pre-roll space. Through Custom Cones USA, he has worked with publicly traded LPs and MSOs, leading to U.S. brand leading U.S. brands and companies of every size in between. His expertise in every facet of the pre-roll sector, from paper science to pre-roll manufacturing technology and techniques, to a deep understanding of packaging and compliance regulations, has allowed Custom Cones USA to help create new products, scale brands, and bring more consistency to the pre-roll sector of the industry. Seriously, we are so grateful he is here today to g- give his, his words and take up my space because I wouldn't have had a guest. So please welcome to the Canna Mom Show, Harrison Bard of Custom Cones USA. Welcome. Thank you, Harrison, for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Joyce. Thanks, David. Appreciate you having me on. Happy to help in a pinch.
0: Okay. So um, like I said, I usually interview women, moms, and caregivers, but we have you here today. So let's just start at the beginning. I always feel a little bit more prepared when my guests come on, but can we just start with your sort of story? What were you really doing before? cannabis cones and what was your relationship with cannabis?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in South Florida a like lot. Many high school kids get exposed to cannabis at some point, so I was maybe a late bloomer compared to other folks. I started smoking in junior year of high school. Got in trouble a couple times. Luckily, I was 17 at the time, but almost got arrested two times just for having like one gram and, and smoking outside with wow. Yeah. Yeah, one of my Friends was eighteen at the time, so he like literally got arrested. Didn't get like booked or anything, but did have to deal with that, get it an expunged and all that. And luckily, since I was seventeen, all I got was suspended from school. So that was my first exposure to like the real consequences of cannabis prohibition.
0: And at that, what year was that? What did you?
1: That must have been two thousand and nine.
0: So, what did your parents think, or what were you being told about cannabis? Were they saying you're damaging your brain, you'd never be anything, or what? What, what was the message you were getting?
1: Yeah, I mean, luckily, my parents were very cool. Okay, um, They're both, my dad more so, a bit of a hippie, went to like a million Grateful Dead shows. Okay. Took those type of things as we were growing up. Okay. The type of household that didn't try to scare you said, if, if you're going to be smoking, I want you smoking in our backyard. Come bring your friends to the house and do it here where it's safe and you're not going to get in trouble. So when so you're kind of that,
0: you're kind of that in between generation. So you're growing up with parents who are sort of normalized, but it's not legal yet, but they aren't scaring you about it with the D.A.R.E. programs and telling you you're going to damage your brain.
1: Yeah. So you definitely had the D.A.R.E. program in elementary school and they did scare us probably all throughout elementary school. But once I was in middle school and high school to my sister and myself, my parents weren't like fear mongering. They were more do it here, be safe, be responsible. So And you just
0: do it. We're using it like a recreation. Did you think of anything as health and wellness? It was just something you like to do, like, well, because you're a teenager and it's fun.
1: Yeah. Back then there was no health and wellness component. It was all just fun. Okay,
0: so uh, you go to college, you're an entrepreneur. Obviously, you have this entrepreneurial spirit, you're doing all sorts of things, and then you are working in the real world. So what kind of stuff are you doing?
1: So, yeah, before I graduated college, I had the idea of making paper from cannabis. So I was driving somewhere and it just popped into my head. Okay, blunt wraps are as a tobacco paper. Why not make a cannabis paper? And I happened to have a elementary school teacher in fourth grade that taught us how to make paper.
0: Oh, really? See, elementary oh. school teachers, you can impact the future of people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing teacher taught us about paper making. A lot of I learned algebra, like really basic level algebra in that class, but amazing teacher. So, in the I already knew roughly how to make paper.
0: It's possible. You like had seen it and you're like, this is something a human can do. We can make paper. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, as yeah. paper is a plant-based product, cannabis is a plant, there's fiber and there's flowers, so you have to mix the two. It can't just be all one of the components. But I was like, I could I could make this. It might not be good. So, <laughs> I started down that path, experimented with making it made some really rough prototypes and then like, it,
0: like what were you using the stocks from the what were you actually using
1: was using paper pulp which paper is pulp. Just fiber so like really basic level paper making you blend up like waste material so okay. you, you do it in your backyard and typically you'll blend up like newspaper you don't want to be smoking that but if you get like a clean paper and blend that up it is relatively clean industrial paper does have a bunch of nasty stuff in it so you probably don't want to be smoking that Right. so creative so you had
0: this, so you had this vision well, actually were you high when you had the vision like no you were driving but <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah no comment <laughs>
0: no all right so this is an idea so how you were young this is way before but then you went off and often had like you didn't make the paper right right away did you yeah
1: so then ultimately <laughs> I came to graduate and I wasn't going to not take a full-time job upon graduating from college but it was in the back of my mind and it was a requirement for me to move to a weed legal state so for me, I wasn't necessarily interested in going to California. So it was between Colorado and Washington. Got the job offer from Amazon within like a couple weeks. And I said, all right, great, I'm done. I'll accept this offer. And then I don't have to do anything for the rest of so the week. On
0: your, on your, in your job interview, did you explain to them that was one of your requirements? That's pretty funny, though. I'm sure it's true, though. I mean, even it's sort of off topic. But my son's in Nashville and it's sort of a pain because he came from Massachusetts.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> it was super important for me to move to a state where I would be able to be exposed to the industry and have the potential to start something. So when I moved to Seattle and started at Amazon, I was part of a like an induction class of all recent college graduates in the same type of role, the same type of program. Uh-huh. And then I met another person there who ended up being my co-founder was also super entrepreneurial. And we started talking about like starting things, starting a business and getting involved in the cannabis industry. And it kind of just went from there.
0: So is this something that's openly talked about tech industry, people smoking pot? Is that like a thing or is it a shameful thing? Like I came from, you know, law. Nobody talked about it. Business is sort of mixed. Like what was the
1: culture, I guess? I mean, it's weird because at places like Amazon and other big tech companies, they do expect a lot from you and you're working really hard. And so they kind of give you alcohol to make it seem like you're having fun and let's relax at the end of the day. So they'll do happy hours and people will literally get drunk at work and then go back to work because now they're in a good mood and they don't have, they're more inclined to stay a couple hours. But I think a lot of the managers are much older and from the era where there's a lot of stigma towards cannabis. So I think cannabis would have been frowned upon in the same setting of, oh, let's decompress a little bit, take a couple hits and then get back to work, which is totally doable. It's totally must- ironic because it's
0: actually you're probably more effective that way than you would be like you'd actually be creative as opposed to being a little tired and stupid. Yeah, be
1: buzzed. Yeah. And, and yeah. tired. So um, <laughs> well, cannabis wasn't too openly talked about there, but okay. the ties are changing and a ton of the younger people coming into the industry and a lot of more of the older people as well are coming around to cannabis. You hear like a lot of people's grandma are even, you know, asking about CBD and cannabis and how that can help them. So
0: that's my mission, getting all the grandmas on everything because We shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to be in all the pharmaceuticals and it's a way to feel better. So, all right. So you're doing this thing in Amazon. You find someone who wants to do it with you. And then what years are you there, Amazon?
1: I think I started in 2016, 2017. Okay. And we just started discussing this idea pretty soon into it. Maybe like six months in, started working on it. Maybe like nine months in, started every day after work. We would meet up and literally just work from 6 p.m. to like 9 or 10. And then we decided, OK, we're going to quit. We're going to wait till our one year anniversary because there's like some vesting things and other bonus things at the one year mark. And it looks good to stay at a company for at least one year. I prefer to stay for more honestly, but yeah, we were dying to start this. So okay. pretty much at the one year mark, both myself and the co-founder went into our managers and told them on the same day, we're putting in our two weeks and we're going to start our own business. Looking back, we were pretty dumb at the time. That's we the had- only way to do it. if you
0: knew you wouldn't do it
1: (laughs) exactly yeah looking back we were dumb but at the same time it forced us to work and succeed so we quit at a time where we knew what we wanted to do make a cannabis paper but we really didn't know how to make it at scale we didn't know how we would make it in the sense of you need a license in Washington any other state you need to be licensed to make this type of thing we didn't have a brand we didn't have packaging so probably could have stayed a little bit longer, but looking back, it worked out because so we had quit. A lot of time was going on. We finally figured out how to make the paper product. And I mean, is this product... something
0: you're making in the United States, something you make overseas? How did you figure out where to even make it?
1: So since it's cannabis infused, it has to be made in the United States, True, it it can't be in the state. So right. it's okay. not even that you could ship it state by state, which, which was one of the challenges we ran into. Paper making is a really expensive process, especially at scale. Mm-hmm. The machines used to make paper are like the size of a tractor trailer, if not bigger, and are millions of dollars.
0: So actually, got a question. So the cannabis paper, is there actually like how much THC, like what, what, like in addition to whatever you put in your flower, do you know what additional THC or whatever else you're getting in the paper while you're smoking it? Is that a thing, a measurement?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we ended up pivoting, but the point where we stopped, we were able to get like a, a rolling paper or a blunt wrap that was testing at about like 10% THC and we weren't infusing it with oil so now that the price of oil and isolate you know has come down and is more readily available we're pretty confident we can get it up 20 percent thc to match the flour
0: that's interesting all right but that was sort of that wasn't working so how long were you doing that before you had to pivot
1: so it was working we made it we decided we weren't going to buy our own license and set up our own facility that was too crazy um too much to make one type of product which is really an accessory So we met with a lot of different producer processors in Washington and created like a licensing agreement where we would license the technology and the use of our brands to be able to manufacture and sell our products through a licensed business. We got to that point. We did that. We signed all the paperwork. We moved into a business and started manufacturing it. And as we were pitching more companies on it, the feedback was, okay, this is great. This is really cool. Looks good. Tastes good. But I needed it in a cone shape. If it's not in a cone shape, I can't make joints with it. And oh, well, point, so
0: you just had the paper. So you we just trying...
1: had the paper. Yeah. And our plan was to send it or sell it as just blunt wraps. So you buy a two pack or a four or five pack, whatever, and you have to roll your own. Right. But to really penetrate. And the person who doesn't know
0: how to roll their own, I'm like, oh, that's so daunting. Yeah. Especially
1: if you're now rolling with a potentially $10 blunt wrap, you really don't want to mess it up. Mm hmm. So in order to scale it and really get it distributed into a lot of stores and using a lot of pre-rolled products, companies were telling us it needs to be in a pre-rolled cone shape. That's how I make all my joints. And so we didn't know anything about that at the time. We're like, okay, so let's get a cone making machine. So we start researching, looking online. There's some patents out there. Couldn't really find anything definitive. Ended up writing to a bunch of pre-rolled cone companies at the time and ended up learning that there is no pre-roll cone machine. At, at that time there wasn't, still today there really isn't. So there's a lot of companies now working on automation to make pre-roll cones, but they're still not there.
0: So that mean they're all different sizes? Or what What does that mean?
1: So there, it, it's a handmade product, it's hand rolled. Oh. The biggest factories are in Indonesia. And then there's also pre-roll cones, the big factories coming out of India and then some in China as well, but all handmade. And you'd be surprised A lot of people are surprised that pre-roll cones are handmade, and then there's a lot of things that are handmade. A lot of medical devices are still handmade. Wow. The garments are handmade. So a lot of people think there's machines that are automating everything, but it's just a lot of offshoring and outsourcing.
0: So that's it. So like literally putting them together. Oh, I didn't know that at all. All right. So they're all handmade. I had no idea. All right.
1: Yeah. So we learned that and we said, okay, so there is no such thing as a cone rolling machine pretty much can't get a cone rolling machine to make our papers into cones and we can't ship our blunt wraps over to a different country, let alone a different state to get converted into cones. And then the company, the pre-roll cone companies that we were talking to at the same time said, hey, I can't sell you the machine, but can you help us sell pre-roll cones? Where in India or Indonesia. We need help. We need help setting up a website, getting in touch with customers, marketing pre-roll cones like are starting to get big, we need help essentially, so this kind of goes back to us being dumb and quitting our jobs with no plan. <laughs> like, sure, we have we're not making any money. this blunt rolling thing isn't full time because we're not able to scale it at the moment, so we're like, sure, we'll do it. So we set up a website and we're working on both businesses simultaneously, and then we ended up starting a third business too during that time, so we we're working on three things, all of them kind of part-time not paying the bills
0: well <laughs> people i think that cannabis is probably keeping you going although other people probably be like oh my god it made him crazy but okay
1: The <laughs> limits of both sometimes you have those hard days as an entrepreneur where you really feel like giving up and cannabis could help give you that relief and then some days you get in your head and you're like wow am i just a dumb stoner just smoking and, and wasting my time i could have been at amazon all those negative thoughts
0: but well but I, again i think The beauty of this is I think it slows people down. So they're able to, especially as an entrepreneur who could probably keep going and never, ever stop. You have to stop at some point to reflect on where you are. And if you can't do that, you won't be able to see where you need to go. So at some point you found yourself out of this, but you're doing a lot of stuff at once. And what year is this now? Where are you in your story? This is
1: probably 2018 now. So we had quit Amazon and we saved up like all of our savings were slowly dwindling down. And then luckily the Custom Cones USA pre-roll business started picking up. And then we got to a point where we had to decide, okay, should we put all of our eggs in this basket and put the other two projects on hold? And then we ended up making that decision, stopping on our original, our baby, the concept of the cannabis-infused paper, and just pivoted everything towards Custom Cones USA.
0: So Custom Cones, was that supposed to be the name forever? Or was that (laughs) the name come from?
1: At that time, we only sold custom-branded cones. So that's what we named the website. And so everything was made to order. You send us your logo, tell us what paper type, what size, we'll make that. So us as people working out of our living room with no income, it was great because it was cash flow positive. You customer paid the deposit, we made the custom order, it got sent out. So there was no warehouse that was required, no overhead, no inventory. So it was maintainable for us. So that's how it got going. We literally only sold custom branded cones. And then eventually, people started and who, saying. And we
0: kind of back up a little bit? Dispensaries buying this, or were they custom like like companies that were making pre rolls who was starting to order them? And yeah, who was
1: ordering them? Yeah, so it depends on the state. In Washington, vertical integration was like strictly outlawed from the onset, so a dispensary is not allowed to make their own products.
0: Massachusetts, that's how it started. Vertical mm-hmm. integration. <laughs>
1: And that's how it is in most states. Washington's one of the few where that's not allowed, but places like Colorado, Massachusetts, Nevada, California, you can kind of do whatever you want over there. Most of them, you're allowed to do a lot more than Washington's pretty prohibitive in that sense. Yeah. So in Washington, you have to sell to a producer processor that makes products and then sells them to retailers for for selling. Whereas other states, there's a mix of some people that are only producer processors, but some produce and sell their own product through retail stores.
0: Do you think there's, do you see a difference? Do you think there's more entrepreneurs, smaller businesses? Because you don't have the seed to sale allowed at all. So the the MSO situation can be different. I don't know if that's true or
1: not. Yeah, that was the intention in Washington. And I think that has played out. There used to be a limit of only three retail stores per company. You couldn't have more than that. There are a lot of companies that get around that by having their uncle own three, their cousin own the next three, the sister owns the next three, hmm. brother owns the other three. So there is a little bit of that that went on. But it has kept out a lot of the bigger MSOs. I don't think a lot of some MSOs were born out of Washington, like Forefront, Fat Panda, Northwest Cannabis Solutions. There's a couple of big ones that were born out of here and have since expanded, but none of the big ones have moved in. You don't see GTI over here or like Ascend Wellness or Acreage. Um, a lot of those companies.
0: Yeah, they it's like they got out of the state to go into now. That's an interesting model. Why didn't everyone adopt Washington? What is wrong with America? So you're getting these businesses. You're starting to do seeing people who need the cones and what things are popular. What were people looking for?
1: So at that time, the one gram pre-roll was the dominant thing. It still is super popular, the one gram pre-roll. But at that time, pre-rolls were not nearly as cool and popular as they are today. A lot of people treated pre-rolls as an afterthought and something really useful to make with waste products. So a lot of trim and sub-quality, like really subpar, low-quality product was getting made into pre-rolls. Whereas now there's a lot of high-end pre-rolls, infused pre-rolls, mini pre-rolls multi-packs, blunt, special tips and all sorts of things. So the category really expanded. But at that time, when we were selling the custom-branded cones, companies would call us up and say, great, you have custom cones, but I need 50,000 cones today. I need them yesterday. What do you have in stock? And we were like, nothing. Cones. <laughs> so eventually we ended up getting unbranded cones sent to us from our, our factory in India and filled our house, like literally. Living room had boxes of cones, hallway had boxes of cones pushed to the side, closets had boxes of cones and started doing fulfillment from our house. And we'd have FedEx driver either come pick it up or we'd have to run to the FedEx or some of the CVS's have a FedEx pickup. We'd run to to a CVS and give the clerk there like 10 big boxes that say pre-roll cones on the side. So it was really funny. People were kind of confused. Is there cannabis in here?
0: So I know. So I'm a podcast. I had trouble getting banking in Massachusetts in 2018, 2019. So what's it been like as a small entrepreneurial business? What has that part of this journey been like for you at this point? I don't know if it's changing or again, it's difficult because of the federal illegality and the banking issues. So what's that been like for you as an entrepreneur?
1: So to start, we had no issues. We were banking with Bank of America. Everything was going fine. And I guess we weren't making that much money. So we were flying under their radar. And once the business grew and reached a certain threshold, and I also think we ended up getting a lot of chargebacks. There is a lot of fraud in general in e-commerce, but in the cannabis industry, there's a lot of you know shady characters too that are taking advantage of a lot of businesses. And so we, there, would, there would be a good amount of fraud and chargebacks that would go through the banking process. And I think when the bank caught wind of that and then investigated us and looked a little bit deeper in what type of company we were, we got kicked off and our fault, but I didn't see the original letter that Bank of America sent out to us. And then eventually we get an email that says your account's getting closed in three days. So they they think they did give us like a month heads up, but we saw that email and had three days to pivot. So had to get off Bank of America. They not only closed the business account, but they closed my personal bank oh. account that I had through them since I was in college, essentially. So that was stressful. Now we.
0: (laughs) Is it an understatement? And then I was having a a bad day. It was a bad day. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. So we had to open up a bank literally within two days. We have customer payments. People know our bank, but where to send payments to. So we had to, some payments still got sent there. They got rejected. We had to make sure that those customers repaid to our new bank account and that Older customers cleared their accounting system, updated with all of our new info. So that was a process. But we found uh, we use a local bank now. I think a lot of cannabis companies have found local credit unions really helpful. Exactly. They offer all the same services, essentially, that Bank of America does. You can have a credit card, a debit card, and a bank to put your stuff in. So we use Columbia Bank up here in Washington. Never had an issue with them so far. So really happy now.
0: I mean, it's actually, again, I kind of talk about this in terms of business and entrepreneurs and women specifically, that this is an opportunity for small entrepreneurs to start building up generational wealth if they can get their foot into the door and it doesn't take it over by MSOs or bigger companies. And banking is really an issue. But bonding with smaller banks, smaller businesses, if we're all kind of doing this at a different level, I mean, that's hopeful. It's just, it's a weird quirk in the many, many quirks of cannabis.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in honesty, uh- I view it as like a double edged sword on one end. It sucks that you have to deal with these things, but all of these problems keep a lot of big businesses, multinational companies out of the cannabis industry and gives us smaller entrepreneurs a chance to get our foot in the door and create a a base of customers and brand identity that these bigger businesses will either want to buy or have to compete with now that we have already been established for four years, 10 years. It is giving a, a big head start for smaller people. Because multinational companies won't touch it and bigger businesses don't want to deal with the regulatory headache and have that risk to their shareholders and to their main business.
0: True. All right. So, so you're, so, okay, so you're moving forward. So what happened during the pandemic? Was that like a good thing for you or like a scary thing or how did that go down?
1: Pandemic was pretty scary. (laughs) So we're based in Washington, which was where it happened first, kind of the epicenter in terms of the U.S. explosion of COVID at that time we so originally when we started we were in our living room then we moved to a tiny little storage unit with no windows no light or there was lights but no heat no ac and no bathroom you had to go outside of the building and go into like a communal bathroom it's, a, it's
0: glamorous cannabis is glamorous people it's very glamorous okay yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: so that was like 2019 and then in 2020 we finally moved into a 3,000 square foot warehouse with one office so like and we had probably five people on our team at that point. So when COVID happened, one of, the, the, one of our teammates had that were living and caring for an elderly grandma, so they were really scared. They wanted to stay home and we were totally supportive of that. But the rest of the people didn't really, I guess we didn't know how scary COVID could be at the time. So we were like, we'll come in, we'll do it. We have nothing else to do. And then luckily, cannabis businesses were deemed essential, so we were allowed to do that as well.
0: Right. So that was actually, because that's what happened in Massachusetts, the whole essential. So that's, and I and I always did, I was joking at the time because we had mostly medicinal. So basically you had to show two forms of ID, go into a, through a, a secure locked door that only had like a camera. Then you had to walk inside and show it again and go through another set of locked doors. And then you were allowed into the dispensary. And then during the pandemic, it was basically you order it and they throw it into your car window. <laughs> yeah. <Bye-bye. laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, things changed pretty fast and it really, I think, helped with the adoption of cannabis and people really understood how important it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, luckily, all right. yeah, luckily we were able to go to work and at first pre-rolls kind of declined. People were scared of smoking. They didn't want to damage their lung health. And also they didn't want to share joints anymore with friends in terms of passing germs along. And then similarly, it kind of was two things at once. So that happened and sales went down a little bit. But then the vape crisis happened like
2: uh-huh.
1: really similar time, like almost, I think a couple months before. And a lot of people think some of the vape crisis was COVID long damage too. It wasn't, you know, just one thing or another. Mm. So as cannabis sales went down from COVID, they kind of went back up because then people weren't buying vapes anymore. So it kind of netted out. And then after like two months of COVID, by the time it was April, May, people were smoking again. Um, the mini dog walker, the tiny pre-rolls blew up in popularity and so now people were buying multi-packs and smoking with people social distance wise outside in a circle but not sharing joints anymore
0: i like that i like the little ones i think that's such a great little i don't know i don't really want to share anything i don't share my wine with people i don't want to i'm too old to be sharing a joint with humans but to have that like to open it up and be like hey do you want one i like that
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so there was a couple months where people didn't want to smoke and then people were home and they were avoiding getting sick. So I think people warmed up to the idea and got less afraid. And the sales went back up in terms of people were buying joints again.
0: So, okay. So um, let's talk about women and cannabis. So we've talked a little bit about the trends of the multi-packs. Are you working with any interesting companies or anything different kind of coming down the line? I know people have like, I don't know, different types of rolling paper stuff. Like I've seen rose petals and I don't know, different things that people want for cones. Do you see any trends coming down?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we work with a ton of really great female-led teams and female-founded teams. Um, definitely would want to shout out Miss Grass is a great customer of ours. We,
0: we love, she's been, a, she's been a partner of the show. We love Miss Grass. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Miss yes.
1: Grass. <laughs> and then, her Highness is another great brand yep. out of California. The one called Bico, That's really great. And I'm sure there's many more. I'm not on the sales team, so I don't know.
0: And this, what are, there's other cone companies out there. What is it that's unique about your papers and what are the things that people should even like, I buy cones. What are the things people should be looking at when they're, purchasing their own, you know, cones, their stuff to fill. Yeah.
1: So kind of going back to what you mentioned. So you kind of dropped rose petal cones and all of those unique things coming. out. So what sets us apart is our compliance and how strict we are and transparent in terms of compliance, in terms of heavy metals, pesticides, microbials. And so we've tried to bring those rose cones to market, but they're just not safe. They're not passing the compliance testing. Roses are a pretty expensive crop so farmers want to protect it so they're typically sprayed with a lot oh. of pesticides and then anything growing out of the ground has a propensity to have heavy metals which are natural there's heavy metals in in everything and that's fine but you do have to be more careful when you're growing things outside they could suck up heavy metals from the soils so yeah so we've tried to bring rose cones to market and they're just not safe so we're not comfortable selling them There's a lot of brands that just don't care and they're not educating customers about that when it comes to consumer packaging. So empty cones in a box, not filled with cannabis. There's really no laws. There's no regulations. So they're just selling it and people don't ask and don't care. Or don't
0: don't even know to ask, honestly. Yeah,
1: they don't even know to ask, exactly. Uh When you're filling it with cannabis, then luckily the states have set up rules and regulations. So it has to get tested. But some people test the cones empty because they're really careful. And they want to make sure all their raw materials are compliant. Whereas some people will only test it once it's filled. So once you fill a cone with one gram of cannabis, it's going to dilute everything, mm. which is fine because when you're smoking a pre-roll, you're not just smoking the paper, you are smoking the whole thing. And so these, these tests work on like parts per million. So a cone may fail if it's empty, but the ones you fill it with one gram of flour, that helps dilute the whole entire thing where the parts per million then passes. So we're really transparent with brands, which really sets us apart from our competition. We're really strict in the compliance. So we have all the documentation and all the testing to show what what these products are passing when it's empty, when it's filled, and just educating people what to look out for and
0: what to do. I mean, again, if we're going to treat this like medicine, it is medicine, it's for health and wellness. And we talk a lot about, I talk a lot about dosing, but also talking about making sure that it's not contaminated at any level, obviously, because you wouldn't take your medications, your pharmaceuticals, whatever we think about pharmaceuticals, they're usually just what the pharmaceutical, what's in it. And that mm-hmm. it should be similar. So again, all these things along the line that we never thought about before. Interesting, paper, paper, paper. Um. All right, so- Rose cones for now. I'm not going to do it, but. Yes, yeah, so I would stay I away say. from the.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also what sets us apart is just our variety. So there's a lot of cannabis packaging companies that sell everything. But if you reach out to them, they're not going to be super knowledgeable about anything in particular, but they could help you navigate their website and, and tell you what to buy. But when someone reaches out to us, we know everything about the pre-roll process, about the manufacturing Process from grinding to sifting to filling the cones to packaging it, displaying it. You know what the different trends are by state. So when a company reaches out to us, we're like a partner, and we'll help them understand how to do it and what to do and why what's trending and what's popular. And and a lot that's why a lot of people gravitate and like working with us.
0: And just like everything, I talk about this every show. You need a specialist. Cannabis is very looks like the real world, but a little upside down. But whoever you're working with needs to really know this very specific smaller no fewer things but deeper. I think that's my whole motto for this year. Is that we can't know everything, we can't do everything, but if we know one thing really really well, we are adding value to this industry as a whole. I think that's so important. And then just kind of coming back to the first story I talked about, the employment. Are you seeing this? Washington's been around for in the cannabis legality world for a while. What are you seeing in where you are?
1: So I do know firsthand, like some people that we just hired in our warehouse team were furloughed and laid off from some farms, mm. So some anecdotal evidence that there might be some farms trimming down their staff. Cannabis is also a little bit cyclical. So October, people call crop is like the big harvest time and right. cutting down the plants and turning it into items and packaging and selling it. And then just traditionally, year over year, we do see a little bit of slowdown in January, um, a lot of action in Q4. So I do think that there are some companies a little bit hesitant. A lot of funding has dried up. And unfortunately, a lot of cannabis businesses, businesses are not cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. But with the funding drying up, they're putting projects on hold. And, and I think they are reducing their staff to some degree. I saw a report the other day that cannabis sales went down 2% so far. So just a slight decline.
0: And, and the prices are dropping I here. So that's the other...
1: I don't know That's Yeah. Prices are here. always dropping. Yeah. That's a, just a, a macro trend you see in every state when they legalize. Yep.
2: There's
1: always just a couple companies that are licensed and able to sell. And then more and more companies get online, more and more price compression. Unfortunately, it's usually like a green rush and way too many businesses open up way too much flour enters the wholesale market and then prices have to come down.
0: Yeah, well, you—I think you have to have a strong stomach to be in this industry. But you're pioneering. I mean, literally, you're like pioneers coming in, setting the standards, doing things right, studying them upright, correctly, so that hopefully it'll go like that way in the future. So we're almost out of time. I guess I always ask about family and canvas. What does your family feel about this? Are there like anyone have any issues? Are people totally fine with it? Totally, you're a different generation than me.
1: Yeah, no, no issues at all. Like I said, my family was always pretty cool. And now when I go home, the the weed guy, I'm the joint guy. So.
0: That's cool. That's a cool place okay. to be. <laughs> yeah,
1: I just went to a family wedding and, and supplied the joints at the wedding, which was nice. And then you get introduced. Oh, this guy's in New Jersey. He's looking to open up a dispensary. Go talk to him. So, you know, had some of those conversations facilitated by my aunt. So it's, it's, it's totally part of the family and the culture now.
0: I love that. Yeah, that happens at my family, too. It's funny. I hadn't seen a cousin in a long time. And the first thing he said to me is like, I've been using edibles to sleep. And his wife was like, that is such a weird thing to say to her. He's like, no, it isn't.
1: <laughs> I know it's got to be normalized. I mean,
0: oh, yeah, so funny. people are
1: drinking alcohol every night, which helps them relax. But I think it is really bad for the quality of your sleep. And meanwhile, you could be having a little bit of cannabis and improve your sleep and also help with like inflammation and all these other health ailments.
0: Making everybody better. OK, so what are you looking forward to in 2023? And if people want to connect with you, get cones, just talk to you, find you. What is the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, so 2023, the economic environment right now is a little bit depressing, but I'm really optimistic it's going to turn around with the new states like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Uh Ireland legalizing. I'm really optimistic to see what they're going to do. And I think I'm hoping that entrepreneurs have seen how these things play out in all the other states. They've learned the lessons from like Oregon and Oklahoma. So I hope people are a little bit more cautious. I would say this is a business and it's a manufacturing business. So you have to be prepared to understand manufacturing, you know, and consumer packaged goods. A lot of people join the cannabis industry because they love the plant and maybe they used to be a real estate agent or they used to have they used to own a restaurant, but now you're starting a manufacturing business. So it's really important to understand what that entails and make sure that you have the strengths and the ability to execute on that or if if you can't you don't think that's viable there is other ways like i mentioned we originally got started with a licensing agreement there are other ways but keep in mind when you're doing a licensing agreement you're taking a cut of all the profits from this manufacturer and you just have to understand how cash strapped these manufacturers are they don't have a lot of margin to give and it is smart to own the brand but That manufacturer probably also understands that. That's where the long-term value is, is in owning a brand. And hopefully that brand gets acquired or is worth a ton of money in the future as manufacturing gets consolidated and scaled. So I hope people learn from those lessons and I am really optimistic that the new states will set a better path than we've seen in other states. And then
0: it's gonna, I mean, I'm out here, I can see New York, I mean, and I follow a lot of the legal parts and the lawyers and the policy and that's changing everything. And then again, you have to be able to pivot because once it's legal federally and all things change again, it's going to be sort of this weird up and down. But people who have, I think you're right, who's grounded and know what they're doing, have a foundation of where they want to be right now. And are moving forward in their lane are going to do well because they're mm-hmm. not. trying. Yeah, there's a mar- whatever. Everybody needs this. It's awesome. It's excellent. And you're, you're trying to provide a good product for us to keep this market moving forward. So people want to connect with you, want to get products from you. What's the best way to reach
1: you? Yeah, so our website is customconesusa.com. If you want to reach out to us on there, our phone number is at the top. You could fill out a contact form. We have live chat, so we'll get in touch with you right away. Otherwise, you could hit me up on LinkedIn just under Harrison Bard. But yeah, I would love to connect with anyone that has any questions about the pre-roll business. Our sales team is not commissioned, so we take a really consultatory approach. We work with small farms to big MSOs. So we're not going to try to oversell you something and sell you the biggest machine just because we would make more money or the salesperson would get commission. But that's not how we're set up. We really want to educate and partner with these companies and help them succeed. So even if you don't want to buy anything from us, but you're just curious to learn about the industry or how to start a pre-roll brand, definitely feel free to reach out and we'd be happy to talk.
0: That's it. Doing stuff different in the cannabis industry. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you for joining us today. And that is it. That is another show for today. So, for my guest, Harrison Bard, thank you for joining us and of course, stepping up at the last minute. And my Canna Bro, David Jazz, and our Kanam Mom show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Kanam show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry. So together, we can cross the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
2: Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.